good to see all of you out this morning, and we're glad that you're here with us. There are a couple of songs that we sing, that when we sing them, I also know hand motions too, and that is one of them. The other one is Peace Like a River. I've got Peace Like a River, and I have to hold myself back from doing the hand motions. Anyway, that's a preschool thing. But anyway, uh, our lesson for today continues our series on gratitude for God's blessings. Uh, I had a lady that um, at work, she, she comes up every so often, usually on Saturday, and she'll ask me what my lessons are. So uh, we were talking about it yesterday. She usually knows at least the theme if she doesn't know the lesson. And so uh, she, she came up to me yesterday and she said, so I guess you're, you're finished with your thankful lessons. And I was like, now I've got one more to go. And so this is the last of them. This was probably, out of the four, the most difficult to prepare, um, just material-wise and, and putting it all together. Um, but I think it's probably one of, of the best and, and maybe one of the, the most recognizable for us. But the lesson's title today is Gratitude in the Midst of Difficulty. Um, just over the last couple of weeks, I've had... Uh, a couple of good friends to confide in me to some degree that, that they're facing some difficulties in their life. And when we face difficulties of various kinds, it's hard to remain thankful to God. But it is important for us to remain thankful to God. And that's what this lesson is about. Uh, facing our difficulties, but knowing that God is in control. And knowing how to face them, how God wants us to face these things in our lives. We do face difficulties. It doesn't matter who you are, you're facing some kind of difficulty in your life. Some of us are stand, having difficulty just standing up. But we have different difficulties, we have different things that we face. There are some great examples though in Scripture that tell us how to face difficulty. There are those that faithfully faced their difficulties while remaining grateful for the blessings they had received, both past and present. Job. Job, who faced disease, loss of physical possessions, and even the loss of his own family members. He faced a lot of great difficulties, but he faced them with an attitude of gratitude, if you will. Paul, who as a Christian faced persecution, physical punishment, and imprisonment, he's also a good example to us of one who faced difficulty with the right attitude. And Christ himself who suffered many inconveniences in life, to put it mildly. He faced rejection and persecution. And despite his love and kindness toward all, was chosen to be crucified on a cross, suffering humiliation as well as physical torture and even death. And yet, he faced all of these things with the right attitude. Though we face many difficulties, seemingly few of them come close to the sufferings of these individuals. And I hope that that 
helps us to understand how we need to face our difficulty. You know, do we face the, the type of, of things that Job and Paul and Christ faced? You know, probably not, not in this life. Not here in, in America. But nevertheless, we do face our difficulties. And when we do, it's important to have the right attitude. Our lesson objectives for this morning are first of all to study the sufferings of these individuals, paying particular attention to their attitude during the difficult times in their lives. And secondly, to learn how to remain grateful in the midst of our own difficulties. First point, remember Job. Turn with me to the book of Job in the Old Testament. Let's look at Job chapter 1. We learn a few things about Job's life. We see uh, how he is blessed. And we're also going to look here at, at Satan's proposal in regard to Job's blessings. But in Job chapter 1 and beginning with verse 1, we read this. There is a man in the land of Uz. There are some interesting names. That's one of them. The land of Uz. Whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. Now let's skip to verse 9. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan in verse 12, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. <coughs> Job was a very wealthy man. He was known as the greatest of all those around him. And Satan attributes this to to the way that God has blessed him, the way that God has protected him, the things that God has given him. And he says to God, if you were to, to take these things away, take away all of his blessings, then he'll curse you. And so God allows Satan power over Job. But only to the point that he does not take his life. All that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. And in the next few verses we read of what happened to Job as a result of, of this conversation, this proposal by Satan. Job 1 and verse 13. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And the messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing 
and the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabians raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Verse 16, while he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell down from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. In verse 17, while he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away. Yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. In verse 18, while he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came across from a crossed the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell on the young people and they are dead and I alone have escaped to tell you. One thing right after another. You know when we look at our problems have you ever noticed that they often come in threes? Or maybe it just seems that they do. But it seems like we face one thing and we face another and another. And that's exactly what is happening to Job. Just within these verses, all the things that we have read about that he was blessed with have been taken away, including his own children. How would you react? In verse 20, it says, Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head. And he fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Verse 22 says, In all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. Now, a lot of times when people face their difficulties of various kinds, a lot of people that have the first reaction, Lord, why are you doing this to me? But that's not the case with Job. That's not how Job reacted. Naked I came from the Lord, naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How many people do you know? How many people do you know that when they face their difficulties can praise God in the process? Job recognized that despite all these afflictions coming at once, his blessings had come from God who is righteous to give or take them away. 
Job was grateful for what he had been given and the life he had enjoyed and refused to charge God with wrongdoing. Even when he was tempted to do so by his wife. In Job 2, in verse 7, So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a potsherd with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. And then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die! But he said to her in verse 10, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? That's the way a lot of people live. They accept the good things of God. They're grateful for them. But whenever the difficulties come, they often curse God. And that's exactly what she was telling Job to do. But again, we're told at the end of verse 10, In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. As we read through the book of Job, we see that Job's friends thought his afflictions were a result of his wrongdoing. But this was not so. And Job maintained his innocence almost to the very end. Though he eventually repented for murmuring against God, as we read in Job 42, verses 1 through 6. Job's health, family, and possessions were eventually restored to him, giving him reason to continue in gratitude to God for his blessings. We pick up in Job 42, verses 12 and 13, when we read this. Job 42 and verse 12. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. In all of his afflictions, Job never blamed God or accused him of unrighteousness. And rightfully so. Again, all the blessings that he had, they came from God. He, he received them as well as the difficulties that came about. We see in Job throughout that attitude of gratitude that we all need to learn from. Second point, remember Paul. I'm going to shed my coat. It's a little warm up here. Remember Paul. In his former life, Saul was a persecutor of the church. And for the forgiveness of his sins against God, Christ, and his church, Paul was grateful. Especially to be named among the apostles. As we read in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 9. He says, For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. 
but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. It was only by God's grace that Paul was not only saved, but given such great responsibility in regard to his work in the church. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, he says this, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. But I obtained mercy, because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. Was Paul deserving of God's grace? Are we in any way deserving of God's grace toward us? Now, there's nothing that we can do to earn what God has given us, and especially in regard to salvation. But Paul recognized that if it wasn't for God's grace, none of these things would be possible. And he had been given great responsibility in the kingdom, and he took that very seriously. He was thankful for what God had allowed him to do in his work in the church. Even when suffering for his faith, Paul maintained the right attitude. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's look at verses 10 and 11. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 10. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me in, at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all the Lord delivered me. He recognized and remembered how God had delivered him from his suffering. We also read within the letters of Paul to different churches, to different people. He mentions something that I think is of interest to all of us because we really don't know exactly what it was. But he mentions a thorn in the flesh. Notice what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 7 through 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
But we do not know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. It seems that he was grateful for what this thorn brought to his life. In verse 9 he says for... Uh, of God, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Though he was weakened, God's strength was to be seen in his weaknesses. He says in verse 10, For when I am weak, then I am strong. Have you ever thought about how we might come to know God greater than what we knew him before? When we face difficulties, He delivers us from them or, or He takes care of us in the midst of them. That's one of the ways in which we see God working in our lives. And, and Paul saw that as a ble great blessing, uh, a way for him to, to recognize God's strength as opposed to his weakness. Uh, verse 9, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Uh, he, he, he saw that as a great blessing. It was through Paul's weaknesses that he was able to understand more fully the power and the might of God. By recognizing the sins of his past, Paul was given a better understanding of God's grace. Have you ever thought about just that aspect of, of God's grace. Just seeing it from the standpoint of Paul. Seeing what he was. Have any of us ever persecuted the church? Have we ever acted as a sort of terrorist against God's people? And yet he was forgiven. God's grace covered his sin. Just as it will cover us today. Paul recognized God's grace and His mercies in his life. He recognized God's presence in his life at all times. And that's another remembrance for us. Of a reason for us to have gratitude. Job. Paul. Now we come to our final point. Remember Christ. Some of this is, is maybe a little more speculation, but I do see some things that Christ could be thankful for, and some things that he was thankful for, as according to the scriptures. John 15 and verse 13, Greater love has no man than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Christ suffered affliction, torment, physical persecution, humiliation, and even death, all for the sake of mankind. By looking at his prayer before his crucifixion, we understand how difficult this was for him. Turn with me to Matthew 26. And let's begin reading at verse 36. Matthew 26 and verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to the place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter 
and the two sons of Zebedee. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Verse 39, he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, oh my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 42 again. A second time he went away and prayed, saying, Oh my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me, unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Verse 44, so he left, went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Ride, let us be gone. See, my betrayer is at hand. Don't know that we know the exact amount of time that Jesus spent in prayer with his Father before he went to the cross. But he did spend a great deal of time in prayer to him. Now, on multiple occasions, he asks. If there's any other way, if there's any way that we can avoid the cross, if we can avoid, uh, avoid what's going to happen here, if there's any other way, please. But if not, thy will be done. And in one account of this prayer, we read that that. His sweat was as great drops of blood falling. He prayed earnestly. He prayed in agony. It, maybe it was the most serious prayer that had ever been prayed. Or has ever been prayed even till now. He would soon be denied by his own chosen apostles. Judas betrayed his life for money. Peter denied knowing him to protect his own reputation. And we read in verse 56 of Matthew 26, Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Not a one of them was left standing with Jesus. We do see one at the foot of the cross later on. But they all forsook him and fled. Jesus did not want to be crucified. 
Have realized that? Jesus wanted what would come because of his sacrifice. But he did not want to be crucified. And he asked again, he, he asked his father, if there was any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, he was willing to accomplish his father's will. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish and have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. John 3 verses 16 and 17. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 15. Paul writes, Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. There's no way of really describing what God has done for us with words. Jesus suffered death on the cross so that man would not be punished for his sins against the righteousness of God. Though man is guilty, he is pardoned by the shedding of the blood of Christ. On multiple occasions, Jesus mentioned his Father's will as his purpose for coming to earth. After being lost for a time and then found by his earthly parents, we read in Luke 2 and verses 48 and 49, so when they asked him, they were amazed, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? In John chapter 5 and verse 30, I can of myself do nothing as I hear I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father. Who sent me. Speaking of the day of judgment in Matthew 7 and verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Not only was his purpose to do the will of the Father, but he also taught all those following him to do the will of the Father. Was Jesus grateful to accomplish his primary goal and mission in his coming to earth? Was Jesus grateful that salvation was made available to all people through his sacrifice, through his crucifixion, a crucifixion that he did not want to, to go through if he didn't have to? But he did for the sake of mankind. Was he thankful to have had his father's presence and guidance through much of his suffering? Now, maybe we don't have specific references to, to Christ thanking God for these things. But I think we can safely imagine that, that he was grateful 
for these things, that he was grateful to accomplish his Father's will, that he was grateful for the salvation coming to, to God's people, and he was thankful that his Father was with him through these trials. There is an instance that as I was studying for this lesson that I found a particular interest of Jesus giving thanks. And maybe it means something, maybe it doesn't, but I'll share it with you nevertheless. In the institution of the Lord's Supper in Matthew 26, verses 26 through 29, it says, As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. In verse 27, then he took the cup and gave thanks. He took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, Drink from it all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you. In my Father's kingdom. Jesus blessed and gave thanks for the bread and the cup, which were a representation of his own body and blood to be sacrificed on the cross for the remission of man's sin. Jesus gave thanks for the very things that represented something that he did not want to do for the sake of mankind, for our salvation, for our own benefit, to bring us into the presence of God. When facing the various difficulties of life, illness, persecution, whatever the case may be, we should always remember to be thankful. As Job was, that the things that belong to us are God's and subject to His will, and whether or not we continue in their blessing. Even when it seems that suddenly we are facing difficulties never faced before, we do not see it as God no longer loving or caring for us, God is given and, and God has the right to take away. And we should recognize that God still loves us and cares for us, that He is with us in whatever we face. We should be thankful as Paul was for the ability to see God's strength in His weakness. Had Paul not faced difficulty, he would not have been given the assurance that God was with him during his trial. And as I imagine Christ was, we should be thankful to be able to accomplish the Father's will. We should be thankful for the sacrifice that Christ made in accomplishing His Father's will and offering salvation to man. Christians are almost promised to suffer in our lives on earth. 
But for everything suffered on earth, we are reminded that these sufferings do not follow us into heaven. Revelation 21 and verse 4, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Our troubles in this life are temporary. They will only last for a season, but if we remain faithful, we know that that we are given the crown of life. We're given a great many blessings in this life, and, and the greatest of them is the hope of heaven, eternal. But we must remain faithful. Are you a Christian? Are you a faithful child of God? Do you need to come to Him in obedience? Do you need to obey the gospel? Be baptized for the remission of sin? Do you need to come back in repentance and rededicate your life to Him? If there is some way that we can help you, we offer you the Lord's invitation. If you need to come, we give you that opportunity. As together we stand and as we sing.